So consider he was fired. He saw that he lost his first proper job that he had for three months. Uh, we brought him back within days, gave him termination protection. He's still there one year after. And basically uh, doing a great job uh, and being an organizer in the workers' calls. So tell me any other um, project, an um, organizing project in Germany that did this with so many workers in such a precarious situation. You know. That was the voice of Moritz W. To almost everyone I spoke to for this podcast, he's known simply as Mo. Mo was among those elected to the Works Council for Lieferando in Berlin during elections held over seven days starting on August 2nd, 2022. Lieferando is the brand name used in Germany by the Amsterdam-based Just Eat Takeaway, which operates a delivery service for prepared food. On its mobile app and website, customers can order dishes from the restaurants that are listed there. Couriers, wearing bright orange vests and bearing large and boxy insulated bags, pick up these orders and deliver them to the customer's doorstep. Mo is one of those couriers, but as of August 2022, is also one of their representatives in Berlin. In the German system, workers are represented in only one of two ways. To understand the German system of worker representation, I spoke with Dr. Effa Cocker, a professor of law at the Center for Interdisciplinary Labor Law Studies at the European University in Frankfurt Oder. Well, Germany has a what we call a dual system of worker representation. So uh, workers have two, two ways to uh, institutions that represent them, and one is trade unions, um, which is which are free organizations. Um, you get to be a member, or you can not be a member. And the second way of representing worker interests are works councils or Betriebsrat. And these are constituted by legislation. There is the Works Constitution Act, which regulates election of worker representatives um, in an establishment. Um, so uh, the Works Constitution Act tells us how works councils or Betriebsrats um, are um, elected and constituted. The Act also regulates rights and obligations of employers and works councils. Um, so, for example, in certain areas, the employer is not allowed uh, to implement uh, his wishes and plans um, without the consent of the works council. For example, if an employer wants to establish new rules for working time, uh, he needs the consent of the works council. And... Um, the Works Council can go to court and prevent employers' action if he does not have the consent. Um, there is also a mechanism where the Works Council can effectively force an agreement um, by forcing the employer into an arbitration panel, Einigungsstelle. Um, so this is a, a system that is highly regulated um, by law. Um, and um, it is supposed to organize very close cooperation. Um, there's even the obligation to cooperate um, uh, rather than be in conflict. The function of works councils or the Betriebsrats in the German system of labor regulation is to ensure that some of the key decisions at the workplace 
are not taken by the employer alone, but also involve representatives of the workforce. You're listening to Delivery Charge, a podcast about platform delivery workers organizing for fairer conditions of work. This is the second episode. In the first episode, we presented the story of how a group of recent migrants to Berlin, working for the quick commerce startup company Gorillas and dissatisfied with their conditions of work, organized themselves under the banner of the Gorillas Workers Collective. After a campaign that lasted several months, and despite suffering several setbacks, including the several legal hurdles placed in their way, this group conducted Berlin-wide elections in November 2021, at which some among them were elected to the Betriebsrat. The Delivery Charge podcast is supported by the MS Marian R. Tagore International Center for Advanced Studies, Metamorphoses of the Political, or ICASMP, which is an Indo-German research collaboration of six Indian and German institutions funded by the German Federal Ministry of Education and Research. My name is Aju John and I'm the founder of Nagrik Open Civic Learning, a project that creates open source online learning materials about civic and political participation. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. You can visit these platforms and search for the Delivery Charge podcast. If you subscribe to the feed, then you will be notified when a new episode is released. The story in our first episode, those of you who listened to it will remember, did not end with the election of a gorilla's Betriebsrat for Berlin. The company restructured and separated its German subsidiary into multiple entities. In response, the members of the Works Council that was elected in November 2021 decided that in the company's new segmented structure, it was important to establish Works Councils at the level of individual warehouses. On December 10th, 2022, a full year after the first election, workers in the Gorillas warehouses at the Friedenau and Treptow districts of Berlin elected their respective works councils. Among those elected from Friedenau was Maria Coelho. She spoke to me on the day she was elected. So I worked for seven months there, started as a picker, then promoted the inventory and later on as a supervisor. And I can tell you it was the best job of my life. And it was a second home to me. I woke up and I was happy to go to work. But I don't know how Prince Lauerberg was so healthy. And then all the other warehouses were so toxic. I think local management plays a big role. Um, the toxicity of you know, of the environment. My manager was like 42 years old, so he was a grown-up man, And but most managers are kids on a power trip. So it's 
either kids that have no life experience or no professional experience. And I think that plays a big role on how toxic the environment is because everybody's just showing up how powerful they are. I was very happy there and because I lived so far away, it was like two hours commuting, one hour to go to Prenzlauerberg, one hour to come back home to Friedenau. Uh, my manager asked, would you like to move to Friedenau warehouse? It's five minutes walk from your house. I made a mistake of coming here. It was, it has been a nightmare. Can you tell me when you started work at Prince Lobo? What period was it? Uh, it was uh, a year, a year and a half ago. Oh, okay, so, okay. Quite a while ago, yeah. Okay. So the Gorillas Workers Collective was still active at that time? By then, did, were you aware of any kind of organizing happening? In Gorillas at that time? Yes, I was. Uh, they had the elections. I remember that very well. I was already a supervisor. And actually, I had... It's ironic. I always wanted to participate on their things and organizing and making protests and stuff. But they never allowed me to because I was a supervisor. So the Works Council always saw me as the enemy part of management. So I never... I was never really allowed to participate in anything. There was this big... There was no trust in anyone that was either management or close to management. So when I moved to Friedenau and things started to be so horrendous for me and I had no help because the writers could find help in the works council. The pickers were always welcome and they were always the victim, which they were. But the supervisors, nobody wanted to deal with them. So for me, it was a very complicated path. It's very difficult and very lonely to survive a lot of things. And I think I got fired twice. I'm still fired. I would still be part of Gorilla. I wouldn't have to gone through all the horrendous stuff I went through if I would have had support. Fortunately, they flipped, they got to know me. And I think big part that now we are welcome, it was because of me. I started getting involved with them and asking for help. And now I'm part of the Workers' Council, which is amazing. I was outside my warehouse in Friedenau and things were already really, really bad. And one guy, Avik, who was very active back then, he passed by and was like, hey, how are you? Uh, I'm from the council. And I was like, uh, yeah, you people who hate me. And I started saying, you know, I'm having a hard time. It's just every day is a struggle, every day. And then we are so close to management because we are supposed to be their assistant, their right hand, that we feel... It's, it's a very complicated role because you are between management and your colleagues. And you have orders to do certain things, but you cannot really do them because they go against your ethics. And you are closer to your colleagues usually. At least I'm more pro-worker. So it was always the shock between you have to do this, this is your job. And no, I'm not going to do that because they're my colleagues. And that's unethical. And Avik came in that time where the clashes were starting to be bigger and bigger and bigger. I was the first person who started having clashes with the management in Friedenau because I think I was very vocal back then. And I came from such a happy place that I could not understand what was going on here. Um, yeah, the conflict started very brutal with me. And fortunately, Avik and Ahmed, who's also here today for the elections, they welcomed me, they supported me. And then after that, slowly other members were like, oh, actually, she's worthy and she's actually just one of us. She's just a worker. 
And that's how I started getting involved. And then I started trying to help my colleagues here because it was really bad. And it was not just me. And we, ha we had you, we had Joseph, everybody getting involved and things developed. When they dissolved, it was obvious that we were going to be the next Works Council. It started with me pushing my colleague, Jose. Mm -hmm. We have to do something, we have to do something, we have to do something. He, first, he was, because the conflicts were still not so big with him, he let it go for quite a while until he, 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 it was just unbearable and he got involved as well. And then we were two supervisors. Another person elected to be a member of the Betrieb's Rat for the Friedenau Warehouse of Gorillas was Jose Silva, who, like Maria, was also a warehouse supervisor. And uh, I started to work in, in, in the company in February uh, 2021. I started as a writer. Um, at the time, things were really different uh, at the company. Luckily, because uh, I really like cycling, things went okay for me. And the company at the time, they were in an expansion period. So after a short period, I was promoted for a supervisor, like for rider ops. For a long time, I was the supervisor from, 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 from the, the riders. And uh, yeah, and unfortunately, when I started to become more part of the company, this is when I started to realize that certain things, they were not like really okay. Especially because I started, they started to really raise me questions uh, regarding the German labor law, because there were so many things that, uh, let, let's say, we live in Europe, so the labor system is very similar to all the, some difference, but let's say the core is still very similar, and then I was starting to come across with so many what I call abuses at the workplace that I started to get really, really confused. But at the time, because I was a, a supervisor from the, from, the, from the riders, of course, the company, they were all the time in, instrumentalizing my head against the workers' council, all these things. So the management, teachers, supervisors, people from the company to see the workers' council as animals number one. So for a long period, I was again a bit confused with the role of the workers' council. But because of social relations, I really like to talk with people. I started to meet people from the workers' council. I started to understand a bit better what they were doing. And unfortunately, I really started to understand that we have a very abusive management in, in this company. To the point that... Even when I was still, you know, the supervisor from the, bi the bicycles, even though that there were lots of abuses, I was still like in a low profile, you know, trying to really uh, understand who was right, who, who was wrong, till the time that I'm relocated because uh, I was in, I started in Schoneberg. Uh, one month after, they sent me to Friedenau to open that warehouse. And then four or five months after, I went to Stieglitz to open another warehouse. Uh, after I think eight months, I came back to to Friedenau, and uh, the scenario that I saw there, uh, the only word that I can describe, is certain cases they are literally crimes. Is the the law is not respected to one point that certain cases they are criminal, literally. In reality, I'm going to be honest. Management is creating the workers' council. 
if we would have amazing managers like like in Prince Lauberg, Workers' Council never entered. They still don't have, and people don't want a Workers' Council because they always love their manager. He solved their problems, he was fair, he was fun. But our management has been creating this because it's just unbearable. It's illegal, most of the things. People will organize and people will make resistance when, when, you know, when we are subjected to these conditions and it follows you and there's a lot of psychological pressure and harassment. We are a pro subproduct of the management of gorillas, to be honest. This, for me, is just an indicator that lots of the labor policies that are being applied on the startups in Berlin, they are not correct. Because now I have contact with other people that work in other startups, and apparently this problem is quite transversal to lots of startups here. This sort of unregulation about these labor laws, about startups, what can they do, they don't do so... It's really, really a, a tricky thing. Even myself, I'm growing and learning with this process because, as I said, I never had this experience of really having to fight with my employer to have my rights respected. Is the first time that I ever is the first time that I take a manager to court. Is the first time that I'm actually fighting with my employer. Is the first time that this is happening in my life. So, even at, at this time it's hard for me to even to make a clear conclusion because uh, as, as this is still happening, I, I still don't have a conclusion. I, I need to finish this work experience and let some time pass for me to see how much did I mature about this experience for me to really understand what happened with me. Because during this time, I can really tell you that one of the things that it really keeps me working is because we are all here to work and I need the, the, the money. And because of my the, the dependence, my financial dependence, that's why I'm taking these abuses because I have a family that I need to, to support. Uh, my mother, she doesn't work. She's 100% dependent on my finances. So basically, I'm in Germany, so I can support my mother in Portugal. And the only reason why I haven't left the company yet is because of my financial responsibilities. And this is the only reason why I have been dealing with this problem. But what people uh, sometimes they don't understand, and I, I spoke this hundreds of times with my colleagues, and then I found out that this is transversal to some colleagues, because of this bad environment at work, the management, the management being all the time bullying us and harassing, literally sometimes I'm sleeping at two o'clock in the morning, I suddenly I wake up thinking about work and I literally can't sleep more. And next day I need to go and open the warehouse at 6.30 in the morning. You guys have no idea the amount of days that I couldn't sleep. I was sleeping and then I woke up with my heart racing like thing, all stressed, thinking about my situation at work. Because even though that I have this really big problem in my hand, I have a bigger responsibility to deal with. And that's why I always stay in this limbo. You know, uh, should I leave this job and look for a better one? But the problem, I can't afford to stay no period without working. A little girl carrying 28 kilos on her back. What, what is that? We have girls carrying 28 kilos and they ask, can we please have less weight? 
and and super even our other supervisors they say no you're going to take the 28 kilos it's illegal 10 kilos is the maximum 10 10 and a half kilos is the maximum they can take to avoid injury permanent injury on on your back how can the workers delivering groceries to a customer or riders as they are known in the business enforce the legal limit on the weight that they may be asked to carry in theory when it comes to the enforcement of legal labor standards such as the maximum limits on working time the minimum limits on wages and the minimum health and safety conditions at the workplace such as standards for lighting and ventilation the state surely has a role to play through its labor inspectors and labor courts but those systems in their turn rely on the vigilance and courage of workers at gorillas as you can imagine for workers who are primarily migrants often dependent on work for their permission to stay on in germany and whose skills with the german language are not yet fully developed this was easier said than done here in germany apparently it's easy but you need to have money and this is a big problem now imagine if we didn't have a workers council in this company can you imagine the abuses see because this is something even with the workers council they can't stop these abuses and the abuses they are recurrent happening every single day now imagine if we if we were 100% at the mercy of this employer you know so imagine every time that i would have one problem a legal problem that i need to dispute i need to come forward with a lawyer i'm a supervisor i don't earn enough money to be playing with these things of go to a lawyer sit down and who has the, the, this money you know unless if you are a manager up maybe you have this financial access to to to, to law but at the people how, how can you explain one rider that works uh earns 12.50 per hour can pay a lawyer that earns 300 euros per hour you know it's a big discrepancy here so are you telling me that europe now is starting to become this sort of caliphate that only rich people can have access to justice this is my only question the only reason why i really wanted to work 100% to open a workers council in ferdinau was because of that because me as a poor guy i was feeling that in germany i was not having access to law so i had to find my own mechanisms to create with the workers council let's say a, a, a legal way for us to be represented legally so we can have legal help you are listening to jose silva on the delivery charge podcast jose was elected to the works council for freedenau at gorillas which as we saw in the previous episode of this podcast was the fastest european company to be valued by investors at 1 billion us dollars by the time jose was elected however the company had already been acquired by its turkish competitor getir for 1.2 billion dollars unlike leferando whose couriers delivered prepared meals from restaurants gorillas promised to deliver groceries quicker than it would take someone to visit the supermarket for the same purchases to do that gorillas operated a network of warehouses in different parts of the cities that they operated in jose's warehouse in friedenau was part of this network in berlin 
the orders are collected and packed at these warehouses. Workers who are known in the business as riders then carry these packets, usually on bicycles, to the customers who had placed the order. The workers who organized themselves under the banner of the Gorillas Workers Collective alleged that particularly during the time that the city of Berlin had enforced pandemic containment measures, the company delivered on its promise of swift delivery on the back of exploiting these riders beyond the limits permitted under German law. Their struggle as workers was also one that encompassed their rights as migrants in the city and, as we explored in some detail in the first episode of this podcast, attracted several other activists, especially those interested in the problems of Berlin's migrants. Rob, who you will listen to now, was one of them. I really made time to go to strikes they called um, just work stoppages I heard about because I've I'd been to a few different protests, maybe political things in Germany, things like Ende Gelände, these kind of organized um, demonstrations. And there was something very, I mean, it definitely felt like the most uh, real thing that I had experienced. And that was because maybe strikes are exciting or, or something like that, or it's right in, right in the corner in your neighborhood. Um, I think there was nothing in Moabit where I live. But there was that very visceral feeling. But I, I recognized very early on, partly because I had a personal connection to people in the group, but just these seemed like people I, I really knew, like even if I hadn't met them yet, they seemed like my kind of people, not even from a, I mean, I, I, now I know a, a lot of them <laughs> and I like them very much, but just, I have, um, I have a lot of German friends, I have uh, American friends, I'm from the US, and there was something, e even if I didn't know, even if there, there wasn't the same, I don't know, hobbies or um, personality or anything, I, I, I definitely felt with the, the guerrillas workers, the people organizing the strikes and, and organizing everything, I felt like uh, I identified with them in some way. They seemed to be the kind of people who, I don't know, who, who I could connect with. And I think that goes back to having some, like, now I'm jumping ahead to the Flink organizing, but when I, when I started at Flink, it was the first time I felt like, um, useful isn't the right word. It's the first time I felt like not being German wasn't a, a hindrance, right? Like my German's pretty good, but you can tell I'm not a native speaker and I can't say complex things sometimes. And then uh, at, at Flink, it's even a little better. People are like, oh, but you're also not German. Like there's an extra, I always have to point it out to people because <laughs> a lot of people assume I'm German. And there's somehow that that's, there's more comfort. And I feel the same way uh, to them. Like we kind of understand, we're both here on visas, we both have like certain just stuff you have to deal with that a lot of people just don't know about, uh, a lot of Germans. And there's some kind of identification there. There's just a feeling of comfort, a feeling of we can, I don't know, understand each other or work together. I've lived in Germany six and a half years now and I'd meet people at work, some of my close I'm, I mean, my friends now, but also my, the, the, the people I'm organizing with who've lived here maybe six months or sometimes just a couple months by the time um, at, at, the, at the moment we met. 
and I can see in them the same sorts of struggles or feelings that I had. There's crises of like, why am I even here? <laughs> what, you know, everyone has a reason, some by choice, some because they're uh, refugees, some people because it's just uh, better pay or some career advancements. But everyone has a has usually some reason that they're in in, in Berlin, and but that comes with a whole series of crises. What am I doing? Why am I like? Is, was that really a good enough reason? And a lot of it is just being able to talk about those things because they are tied up with work somehow. They're tied up with how to live, how to have a, a good, secure life here. And uh, I, I think people aren't. It's, it's hard to be aware of these things, you know, like maybe someone is really having, maybe someone is, is stressing out and they think it's because of work and work definitely makes it worse. Or they think it's because some fight they're having with someone else um, in their organizing group or someone at their, at their warehouse who they have a conflict with. But sometimes it is a deeper crisis of just like, actually, I'm just not sure why I'm here right now. I feel, and, and, and those kinds of things can be amplified among among uh, migrants or, or non-Germans. And sometimes it's as simple as maybe acknowledging that or addressing it before it comes up. During the very months of 2021, when the rider activists of the Gorillas Workers Collective were organizing to establish a works council for the company in Berlin, a citizens initiative spearheaded by the city's tenant groups had demanded the reform of the public housing situation. The campaign sought a referendum in favor of the expropriation and social ownership of large private housing companies. To initiate such a referendum, the campaign had to collect signatures from eligible voters in two phases. Um, I got in like those repetitions of talking to strangers during the Deutsche Wohnen and Agnen campaign, the expropriation campaign, which was a little nerve-wracking at first, but I, I realized I liked it a lot. It was very fun. And um, my partner and I, we realized because sometimes we would go together. I think at first people were going on, on street corners because you just see a lot of people, you know, coming out of the U-Bahn and you try to stop them. But you feel a bit like the, there's always like some stand set up outside the U-Bahn, whether it's the Red Cross or Jehovah's Witnesses or something going on. And then we decided to move to the park. And of course you see a lot fewer people, but basically every single person you came across in the park was happy to just chat for a couple minutes, even if they had no interest. It was not, there was no like antagonism. And I think that was the closest, I think having those kinds of feeling was the best kind of experience before walking into a, a, a warehouse and, and asking someone about, uh, about their job. Um, but politically, I don't know, organizing and politics, I'm not sure how they, how they relate. They're definitely different tasks. I think a lot of people who are political aren't doing any organizing, but at the same time, organizing, I think, is a, like a broad thing that a lot of people do in their day-to-day -day life without realizing. And it's about, I don't know, maybe bridging politics and organizing in some way. You're listening to Delivery Charge, a podcast about organizing and mobilizing among platform-based delivery workers. My name is Aju John. The reason I spoke with Rob for this episode will become clear soon enough. At the start of 2022, Rob became a rider with Flink, another company operating, like Gorillaz, in the quick commerce segment, 
which is also known as the instant grocery delivery business. Among others, the company was backed by the German supermarket giant Raver. In December 2021, while attracting investments from the American food delivery platform company DoorDash, Flink was valued at over 2 billion US dollars. Like Gorillas, Flink too faced allegations of pursuing extraordinary growth even as it was unable to meet some basic labor standards. First of all, every company, even like it's easy to say that they're all the same because they are in some structural sense, but the specific problems are often different. So when I started at my at Flink, there was just everyone, I'm, and I, you know, would ask people, anyways, how how are you doing? Is there do you have any issues? How are things going? And everything was fine. And then I think in February, a bunch of problems started, and they weren't the problems that they had at Gorillas, but they were a separate set of very typical um, startup tech jobs problems. They just weren't giving people enough hours and telling people, okay, well then we can't, sorry, uh, then, then you don't get enough uh, money this month because we don't have enough shifts. But of course, if you sign an employee contract with a company in, in, in Germany, then you're entitled to your, action, to, to your contracted hours. Um, and Flink, in, this is really like what one of their go-to strategies, it seems like, they just think, well, that's the law, but we'll just ignore the law. And who's going who's gonna to do anything about it? It's a lot of work, it's a lot of effort, and a lot of these uh, people don't even know. They don't know German, they don't know the law. Even if they feel it's wrong, they're not going to do anything about it. So it, to, that was really the start. Any, like, I did not start organizing at Flink before those problems started happening. And Talk some more about in February. It was, to me, I, I never got hit too bad, but I have a 20 hour week uh, contract. And so you're only making about a thousand euros maximum, um, maybe a little more with tips um, every month. And to, you know, make it, <laughs> to pay your, pay your rent and pay your bills, you really need all that money. And so then some weeks, if you, the, the shifts at Flink at least are quite random. Um, that's another problem they have. Like, so you might get, you might be working from like 3.45 to 6.15 and then you're like, wait, how long, how long is that actually? And then if you actually add it all up, maybe you're working 22 hours, maybe you're working 19 and you think it usually evens out. But at some point in February and March, then it was quite steadily 15, 14 and no more, at least for me. And I heard tons of stories of people with a, 30-hour contract getting only 10 hours a week or something like that. And, um, like, as with so many, like, this is really how things work with these app-based companies, which is if the, app, if the app says something, then that's the way it goes. If you open your shift planning app and there's only 10 hours worth of shifts, you think, okay, well, that's, I have 10 hours worth of shifts. You can complain to your manager and maybe your manager gives you more this week. Maybe the same thing happens next week and the manager decides not, or the manager says, sorry, I really can't this week. And so like at the end of the day, the, the overwhelming feeling is that this app says, that this app is like the, this app decrees what the, what the law is. Of course, it's not true because you can fi uh, take legal action, but that's certainly how it feels to most people. And I understand because Legal action is often slow and 
um, sometimes costly. Um, the, other, the other thing that the app <laughs> says is when you try to get in and you're locked out, then you're fired, basically, because you can't log in, you can't work, and so there's nothing to do. You, can't, you can try to appeal, you can say, hey, I need a termination, if I'm fired, I need a termination letter. But these companies would just very often, like shockingly often to me, because legally it exposes them in, in a lot of ways, would just lock someone, tell someone they're fired, lock them out of their app, and never properly fire them, never send a termination letter, sometimes never even verbally say that, that someone's fired. And then people just, you can't get into your app, so, you're, so I guess I'm fired. And it's only if they really take the legal steps to try to at, say, hey, I'm not fired, fire me properly, or pay me for all this time. But I can only imagine the number of cases of people I never heard of, or who never reached out to me, or, or anyone um, on our council, that they just said, oh, whatever, I'll get a new job. And then they're not paid, let, let alone their like two-week severance. They're just not paid for any of the time that uh, um, since, uh, since they were locked out of their app, isn't there? Um, and there's usually a pretty good system for, for things that need to be immediately addressed. Like if, if you have an accident, the, the shift lead is in charge of making sure that you get back and are able to take another delivery. So they're very on top of it, like is the bike still functioning, okay? come back and take your time, however quickly you can get back, uh, whatever the case may be. But as soon as it involves something that is, uh, in, in parallel to the app, another very common thing people hear at Flink is like, well, that's the headquarters has to deal with that. And the headquarters is this like far away, um, vague concept. And a lot of people go to the headquarters to just ask about anything. And a lot of times they just, get no answer because the person at the front desk and headquarters is like, what, what? like, how am I supposed to help? Uh, if you can't get your, this payslip or this proper letter, there's supposed to be a, a channel to request it, but then sometimes, um, it doesn't work or it's lost, it's lost in the process or there's some miscommunication, a bunch of things can happen. So when it comes to things like hours, those are set by the, Manager, yes, but then sometimes the manager the is just... someone at the warehouse level, right? Yeah, but then sometimes the manager doesn't actually come to your warehouse. <laughs> um, that, that's very relative. Sometimes the manager uh, is there all day, every day. Sometimes the manager is there a lot but has three different warehouses. And sometimes the manager just... They're not there. <laughs> um, and I would say the... The, the dividing line for something like hours is when your contract says one thing, a certain number of hours are kind of spit out in the app. And if you think it's not enough, you can ask your manager or shift lead for more, but they might say something like, okay, well, you have to go to this other warehouse on the other side of the city if you want your full um, hours for this week. Or they might say, even sorry, there's nothing we can do. Or are sorry, like they won't let us assign more hours for this week. Like we've heard all these kinds of things. And so at a certain level with things like hours and, and payments, another one. Like right now, a bunch of people haven't gotten this 300 euro um, stipend for the, for the, I forget what it's called exactly, but this energy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and so then <laughs> a bunch of people have, a bunch of people haven't. I know one person who was fired and wasn't paid any of his wages 
like, you know, you need to be paid for, he was out of probation, so it's another three months. He wasn't paid any of that, but was paid the 300 <laughs> for the, the Energi Pasha. So in these cases, you, there's, there's this uh, form that you fill out and there's a team at the headquarters and I can only imagine how overworked they are because they're dealing with that, like a thousand plus um, warehouse workers, like constantly um, sending them problems. But it just really gets lost in, in some division. Like, for example, uh, a problem that comes up a lot is this tax class thing. So a lot of people are registered as tax class six instead of tax class one. Tax class six meaning you usually have two jobs or you've worked more than some legally um, allowed amount and then the taxes go way up. I think it's like 50% uh, of your income. And a lot of people are registered as tax class six right away and usually incorrectly. Um, and then, someone's, and then someone might say, no, I, I, I'm, I'm not. Or like, I, I was working, yeah, at Gatir before, but then it ended on this date and I started Flink on this date, so why is it tax class six? And they might say, no, it, it is. Or in our records, it says it is. There's nothing we can do. And then what are you supposed to do? It's just like, you really feel like this kind of powerless situation when it comes to certain like legal standards, which is why I think a lot of people, they feel like they have to accept it because what the... There's a certain like uh, almost legal authority that comes to a company like Flink with a mostly migrant workforce. Like they say, well, I don't know what's going on, but they say this and I don't know. I guess, I guess there's nothing I can do about it. So th things like that happen a lot um, when it comes to, or I should say it's, it's, it's easy for the warehouse level manager to blame things on higher ups. And I don't know how much that's true, how much that's uh, just an excuse, how much that's how it's supposed to work. The, 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 the manager blames the headquarters or the next level up, the regional manager, and the regional managers can blame the managers, and then the, the complaints go away. I'm not sure. Earlier in this episode, we heard from the scholar of labor law, Dr. Effa Cocker, who explained to us the dual system of worker representation that is prevalent in Germany. Workers are represented on the one hand by trade unions and on the other by their elected representatives in works councils. The works council, known in German as the Betriebsrat, is a key institution under German labor law and illustrates the aspect of Mitbestimmung or co-determination at the level of the workplace. Here's more from Dr. Cocker. Well, the election is... Um, um regulated in detail. Um, every four years there are elections um, in those uh, established elements that have already had uh, a works council before. So at this moment or uh, some weeks ago there were um, elections all over Germany for this works council. It's a very regulated procedure um, in, in, in detail. Um, it is, uh, you need a commission, that a workers commission, um, which organizes these elections um, and which is also protected. The workers that are members of these uh, committees and commissions, um, they are also um, protected. As I said, it has legal rights. Um, they are strong in some areas, in those areas that the law calls social matters, um, such as working time or 
um, the the behavior and clothing and such things. Um, but there are other areas where it has only information and consultation rights, uh, such as financial ma matters um, or questions such as how production is organized, relation to collective dismissal. Um, so there are strong rights, um, arbitration and um, a need of consent. And there are weaker rights, um, information and consultation. And there's all this is um, regulated by law. The Works Council, Betriebsrat can go to court to enforce these rights. In the previous episode, we learned about how the migrant riders of gorillas in Berlin organized together to establish a works council for the company's operations in the city. To do so, they had to follow the detailed guidance provided in the Betriebsverfassungsgesetz, which is Germany's industrial constitution law, on how a Betriebsrat is to be elected. Rob had to chart a similar path. I, I, I heard at some point that if you that Flink, if you just complained about your hours to, in this uh, hub care form or workforce support, I forget what it's called now, um, that you might get more hours or they might just ignore you. Uh, and again, ignore might mean there's some person sitting in headquarters dealing with these tickets. You know, I'm, I don't know the system they have, but I'm sure there's, I'm sure they're, they're, uh, they're tracked just like every, just like the pickers, just like everyone else of how quickly they answer. Um, Maybe they're sitting there saying, I, I don't know, I can't answer this question about the hours, or I asked my boss and the boss said, I don't, there's not, just ignore them because there's nothing, we can't help them. And so then they're ignored, but maybe it's a higher level decision. So what we heard at some point was that if you just complained about the hours, then um, uh, you were ignored at some point. But that if you uh, mentioned the German law, that says you can still be paid, that, or even if you just mentioned your lawyer or mentioned you were gonna take legal action, then you were paid uh, for, the missing, um, for the missing hours. So you, you, you would get as a, like an extra line in your pay slip the, the, uh, the difference between what, what you would have gotten if you worked 20 hours a week or 30 hours a week, whatever it is, versus what you actually worked. And so, the first thing I, I did was just tell as many people as possible about this. As soon as it worked for me, I sent them a screenshot of my payslip. I said, like, look, if you don't believe me, it's right here. And I had steps for, for how to do it. How did and you send it? What kind of network was available for you to reach out to someone? So in, in, in WhatsApp, uh, we, have a, we have a group. Uh, each, each warehouse has a group. But in a lot of warehouses, it's just a, like a channel. Only the admins can post. And then it's just a, really just communicating Usually, like, um, yeah, just like this is the address or this is the customer's phone number, things like that. But in my warehouse, it was an open communication group. And I, and I credit that partly to, like, it was luck for me. I didn't do anything to make it an open group. But there was a certain maybe culture, certain kind of people where it was like a friendly thing. And the manager 
let it be like let it happen and that was the way that was the way it worked because in other warehouses i heard they had that kind of group and then at some point it was closed and turned into a just direct uh, communication group and some warehouses don't have a whatsapp group so there was some kind of communication there where you had uh, contact to people and it's also very easy if you're just standing at the warehouse talking to somebody in the past there was a lot more downtime now it seems like they've uh, figured out ways to get rid of your downtime um, to just chat with somebody and then of course you can just exchange phone numbers so i told everyone i could in in my warehouse and at some point this is one of the um this is also a very typical example for how these uh, how, the, how the algorithm can control your life. Where at some point in our, in our warehouse, uh, we were getting fewer shifts and saying, and I was told, people were told, okay, you can go to this warehouse uh, or this warehouse. I think there were three different ones that were offered, uh, depending on the week, where you can go and work the rest of your shifts or work the rest of your hours to have a full hours for the week. And at some point, and I did that, uh, for example, and at some point it flipped. I don't know if the company decided, okay, actually Moabit has a lot of customers or let's try to get new customers or let's really make an effort in Moabit. At one point it just flipped. And then everyone was getting their hours and people were getting sent to Moabit from other warehouses because they, now we were a receiving warehouse instead of a distributing warehouse. And I have no idea what changed. I remember the day it changed because everyone was like, why are there so many people here? Like it was nice. Oh, I haven't seen you in weeks. Like it was a nice, it was a nice day. Um, and that was from an organizing perspective, that was very helpful because every new face was someone from another warehouse who had a problem with their hours because that's why they were here. And then every time there was a new person, I mean, I just said hi and asked what warehouse they were from just to be friendly and be like, oh, welcome. You know, you came across town. You might as well... Uh, you know, it's nice to be friendly to the new people. And then, yeah, depending on the conversation or the sense I got, then I would ask them about their hours and if they knew how to request the, the money. And some people had already, again, I don't know them, but there's all sorts of networks going on at Flink and somehow people already knew. So sometimes that was the case. But then a lot of people really uh, found out about this just because of, um, yeah, just because they happened to take a shift uh, in my warehouse. Um, but the big like instigating event was when our warehouse closed. Um, it basically closed from one day to the next with very little warning. And a lot of people were fired. A lot of people were given shifts in other warehouses, but then fired subsequently. And it was at that point where when we got, so it was a Friday where we had the, there was a Google meet call and at first, I thought they were going to tell us we had a new warehouse because, again, there were tons of uh, deliveries in Moabit. It was way too tiny. And I thought they were going to tell us, hey, there's a new warehouse. You're all moving. Um, I was naive. <laughs> because the truth was they were saying they were closing the warehouse and that some people would be moved to the two uh, closest warehouses and then they would do long distance deliveries to Moabit and the rest would be fired. The regional manager said this. The regional manager also was... Um, driving while on the call like she was distracted you could tell and, and she you, you heard her like she said she was in traffic like as, as she's like telling everyone they're going to be fired uh, and it was then that i made a new group with everyone who wasn't an admin 
in the old group, so not the so excluding the I think it was the managers and shift leads who were the admins, just to be like, hey, let's talk about it here. What's going on? Tell tell us when you have a new warehouse, like just so we can communicate. Tell us if you're fired, and then we can check the letter to see if it's um, uh, if it's legal and everything. And we had a, that was on Friday and Saturday, and I think on Sunday we had a meeting in Moa Beach with like 15 of us or so, mostly from that warehouse, but also from a couple other warehouses. Uh, and I had been meeting with, a, with some people um, somewhat regularly beforehand, just a small group of us, kind of just to keep in touch. I explained the whole council thing in case we wanted to do it, but there was really, you know, I wasn't forcing anyone. I was like, I hear it's a lot of work, <laughs> and it was, um, but I just wanted to spread the word. And it was at that meeting where we decided, okay, there's a relatively big enough group here. Um, I, it wasn't my main motivation, but I was in probation and I knew I was going to get fired because they were firing everyone who was still in probation just because they could. Like these, these other warehouses already have, quote unquote, too many people. So if you get five more from a new warehouse, you don't, you don't need them, you know? And so, of course, they, they were going to be the first ones to go. Um, and so, yeah, that was Sunday. And then I think the next Wednesday... You know, it took a couple of days to prepare, prepare the, the form, the, the letter we send to headquarters. And that Wednesday, we went all around the city and put up the invitations to the, to the assembly. Some of you who listened to the first episode of the Delivery Charge podcast may recall an event that happened on April 1st, 2021. It happened more than a year before some of the events that Rob has been remembering for us. On that day, some workers at the Kreuzberg warehouse of the Gorillas company posted a letter across several internal communication channels of the company. These three workers were members of the Gorillas Workers Collective, which until then was officially not much more than a Twitter account. With this letter, these three workers signed their names to an invitation to the employees of Gorillas to a general assembly to elect an electoral council. As you heard from Dr. Afa Cocker earlier in this episode, the Betriebsverfassungsgesetz, or Germany's industrial constitution law, provides detailed guidance on how a Betriebsrat is to be elected. Holding a workers' assembly or a Betriebsversammlung to elect this electoral council is one of the first steps towards forming a works council at a company. With their letter of April 1st, 2021, those three members of the Gorillas Workers' Collective were able to set the ball rolling towards the eventual establishment of a Betriebsrat. A year later, this was what Rob was trying to do at Flink. Um, like I said, I just knew at that point, mostly personally, a lot of the people involved at Gorillas or similar organizing things um, at Liferando. Um, there, there had been some, some meetings, but there was no really, um, I would not call it formal. It was very informal and it was a lot of me asking people for help of how to do it or how did you do it or how are you doing it at Lee Ferrando or how did you do it at Gorillas and just this very practical 
um, experience sharing. And I, it's, it's, someone needs to write it all down because it's, it's very like, um, it is hard, but it's not impossible. You, and especially if you have, if you know all the steps, it's something, I mean, as German law says, you just need three employees of a company and then you can, you can start this whole assembly process. So it was mostly me reaching out to people, asking for advice, sitting down with them, and having them check this letter in German. Does it make sense? Does it say everything we legally need to say? Um, and at that point, I was already in contact with our lawyer, uh, Martin Bechert, who was, uh, was also the Grilla's lawyer, the Liferando lawyer. So, um, yeah, he was, in, and then he, um, formally represented the, the group of, of inviters. Um, but yeah, a, a lot of it was just reaching out for some expert advice and a lot of just um, collegial advice, even if they're from another company. The very first warehouse we went to, um, there was a shift lead there who was saying, like, I can't let you put anything up on the wall. And I'm like, it's, we have to, it's by German law. And then he said, okay, but well, you have to talk to my manager. And it's actually my former manager who had moved warehouses. So I talked to him on the phone and I explained it. And he was like, it was early in the morning. It sounded like, it sounded like he just woke up. <laughs> so I was like, I'm sorry. It's so early, really, we just have to do this. And, and he's, he's a, a German guy. So he knew what the Batubs, uh, was. Um, but in general, we could go in fairly easily to all the, all the warehouses. That changed over time as there was like a, a memo sent out about this is, what, this is what's going on. In general though, and this is definitely, I always have to, to qualify. I'm not saying that this is Flink's strategy. I'm saying this happens a lot at Flink where they don't have to say, don't come in. They don't have to say, no, you're not allowed to come in. Usually they'd say, okay, you can talk to people, but don't stop anyone from working. Don't get in anyone's way, um, which I understand. But if the manager's there, at some point the like, the, the message went around um, and it was like, okay, the manager's here and you're standing right here and I know that they are really angry about you and so I don't want to be seen talking to you. And I get that too. I don't want to, I don't, I'm not here to get anyone in trouble. And so that, that was the most frustrating part because you, um, you know a bit about Liferando and, and how the organizing worked. And there's pros and cons to each. Like someone at Leaf Rondo might say, oh, it's so, it's so great that there's a warehouse because everyone's in the same place and you can really, like, you can talk to so many people. But then people might feel watched. People do feel watched. And there's a, I've, I've been in warehouses when the manager shows up and leaves and even the regional manager shows up and leaves. And it's just a market difference, you know, between the, like, tension and people are more relaxed. And people still get their work done, but it's like a, it's, a, it's an added it's definitely an added tension, especially anything organizing related when the, when the manager shows up. And in general, uh, I can also say this about uh, our assembly too, where um, there was, <laughs> I had some, someone come up and tell me, because at some point in the assembly, we let people like, I was the assembly leader, like the person with the microphone at the front. And at some point I was like, okay, let's pass the mic around. And so there are questions and comments. And some people were quite angry and saying quite forceful things. And again, kind of making personal attacks against me and the other organizers, the organizers of the assembly. And there were claps and cheers for <laughs> different sides. And I had someone come up and tell me being like, 
We all support you, but we can't clap because they will tell our managers. So just vote. Let's get it. Vote and get it over with. Like enough of the clap. Enough, enough of the clapping. And that you you can that that was true. I mean, we like the the me and the other inviters were were elected along with uh, um, um, new people who were very very happy to be working with. But that is how it works. Like there's a sense of like oh I I hear nothing but. Flink is saying, oh, everyone's against it, everyone's scared, everyone's thinking this, everyone's thinking that. And that is because Flink controls the dominant narrative. But if you put it to a vote, if you put it to some, if, if you test it in some way, I, th I think people would be surprised that actually people are, people are support this thing. They just can't be vocal about it because they know how these companies work. They know there's a whole snitch culture going on. And you, yeah, you definitely have to have, when organizing, you have to have some faith in that. Um, the um, what to call it in uh, in the fact that people just uh, like the most vocal people don't aren't always the most representative I guess. How did you find candidates? Um, so the way it works at the at the assembly is that there are no can like the candidates all present themselves um, at the assembly. So. When I was having conversations with people and I got to a certain stage, I told them like, yeah, so if you, if you want to be a candidate, come do the, like at the assembly, just, you know, raise your hands, come to the front. We hadn't decided how we were going to do it. And I, at the assembly, I said, okay, all the candidates, we took a 10 minute break. I said, all the candidates come to the front. We'll write your names down. So there were plenty, there were 13 candidates, uh, I think. Um, so it was really like people did volunteer. Um, most of them I, I didn't know. Um, some I talked to before and explained this whole process, and then they, they were like, okay, I will be a candidate. Um, but it, it, comes out of a, it comes out of a conversation. Like, everyone has issues. No, I shouldn't say everyone has issues. Everyone, like, when you talk to people and people have issues, some people just want to solve it. Some people are very clear, like, hey, that's cool, I support you, but I don't want to be a candidate. Um, some people are unsure, but then they warm up to the idea. And some people want to be a candidate, and then they get a job at uh, uh, a research hospital, and they're like, I'm not in Germany to work at Flink. I'm actually a doctor. I want to go. I have to take this job right now. So I'm not, I'm not going to be involved. And of course, that's completely uh, understandable. So it, it comes out of a natural conversation, because it isn't like a big... It shouldn't be that big of a difference between... Uh, a worker at Flink who's not in the council or anything, but is just a, just a part of the community, you can say, just someone people talk to during their shift, and the actual candidate or, or member of the council is just someone who takes the next step, but if, if, or, or takes some formal role. But if only the council members, or if they're the only ones keeping a network alive, um, then it's not a very robust... Uh, organized workforce. You always need, um, um, I don't know, leaders you can call them, or just, um, yeah, a, a strong uh, community, a strong workers community or something. You need that inside and outside the, the council. So the candidate role, it, from the council's point of view, we need candidates, we need members to keep it all running, but it just, it should come kind of naturally out of um, organizing conversations out of an organizing group and it shouldn't be 
it is sometimes, but it, it shouldn't be like, okay, it's a failure if so-and-so doesn't want to be a candidate because maybe they'll just keep on working. And I've had people who are like, I'm not involved, but they've sent multiple people to get in touch with me. And then those people have wanted to be candidates. And so that's perfectly very healthy, a very necessary part of this whole ecosystem. The elections to constitute a works council are run by an electoral board or Wahlvorstand made up of employees. Electing this electoral board is therefore one of the first steps to establishing the Betriebsrat. This election happens at a general assembly of all workers known as a Betriebsversammlung. Rob, who called for the Betriebsversammlung at Flink, is narrating the events at this assembly of Flink workers on September 5th, 2022. And, and beyond everything else, beyond all the German intricacies and bureaucracy, um, it's also the idea of an assembly, especially for a company like Flink that's so spread out, is a really nice thing. Like at the assembly we had, there were, I forget the exact, I think 160 people. What is it? Uh, September 5th was, was, our, was our assembly. 160 Flink workers uh, signed in, and they just have never been that many people at Flink in the same place at the same time. And so it was a bit, it was tense sometimes, it was uh, heated sometimes, but it was also like, this has never happened before. We can do this once, we can do this four times a year if we want to. It can be, there's something in German law that provides for this to happen. Why not? Let's, 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 let's make use of it. And yeah, my overwhelming feeling was, I'm just so happy everyone's here. I'm happy this is happening. I'm happy that people are, I wish there were, I don't know how much mingling happened because I was outside until basically the very end. Um, and of course, people kind of sat in groups. I saw like people I recognize from different warehouses sitting with their warehouse, but still just the idea of having everyone there was a really amazing feeling. Um, I, it was kind of, there was a lot of yelling and screaming outside, partly from, from people who, who didn't get in, saying that they should be able to get in. Um, but inside, it was kind of, like I was going through the, the kind of formalities of introducing the assembly and then, but before we called for candidates, I could tell there was confusion. So I said, okay, let's take a, let's, I'll pass the mic around, let's, people can talk. And some people spoke who were very, uh, the first few people who spoke were very, I would say, um, critical or even hostile to the, to the whole process. Um, which again, in, in principle is, is fine. I'm not against it. Um, but knowing the background, and I, I don't want to say anything about anyone in particular, don't want to make any assumptions, but in general, I think a lot of people, I, I think there were certain talking points that were cultivated from management that some people said, not even necessarily the candidates, but just people who were, uh, who were there uh, inside and outside. And then it, there was a lot of back and forth. Someone, someone, would, someone would, would take the microphone and say something. A lot of times it was asking me questions. And then if they were very like, critical, I was trying to explain. I was trying to like, walk through um, certain, like my thinking. A lot of people told me like, oh, great job. You remain so calm. But to me, I was just, I don't know. I felt like this is what we were working towards for, for months. And I was just so happy that everyone was there, that this was happening, that I, of course, I, I didn't even think not to be calm. Like, it was just, I was really like, I don't know. I was just happy that, that, that it was happening. 
And I could always turn back to, and then some people would respond and other people would respond back and forth. And it was not like formal, like it's not, it's not like German law says, you need an hour for questions and answers. Like I was just kind of saying, okay, let's let people talk, but we need to stop and, and vote some, somehow. And, I, and what I would turn back to and what I tried to emphasize was, like someone said like, oh, like, I'm just, uh, I'm worried that this is, this whole process is undemocratic and how did this even happen or why you? And, you know, I tried to explain that, hey, this is, anyone could have started it and, and we're the ones who did. But someone mentioned democracy and I'm like, you're talking about democracy? What do you think this is? <laughs> we had an assembly. The only reason we're having this is because we called for it. And now we're here. Let's do it. Come be a candidate. Let's be, let's, let's do it. Like, there was so much of like, oh, like, I tried to make it real what was going on like I tried to be like look at us how uh, there are 160 of us flink workers mostly not German here having this conversation about what our workplace should look like this is amazing this is let's let's focus on this and you can have tons of uh, you can have whatever range of opinions be a candidate let's vote let's let's figure it out and that was again whatever whatever happened if people voted differently, if I wasn't voted on, if whatever happened, I, was, I just wanted people to appreciate that we had done this, that there was an assembly and that it can mean something for you. It's not just something to argue about. It's not something to just like, it's not just a rumor. It's not whatever. It's a real thing and it's a real uh, work. Uh, life at Flink, life at any workplace in Germany can be democratic if we, if we make it that way. We just, I said that this is, um, this is independent, this is for us, and this is really real. It's, it sounds a little crazy, it sounds like, what, what are these people doing? I promise, it's super, it's super German, it's, super, it's, it's protected by law, and it's really like, you should know about it. The reason you don't is because Flink isn't, Flink, Flink wants you to not, Flink gets away with a lot because people don't know their rights, or people don't know how to use them, and that resonated with I think almost everyone, because people know that. People know, and, and that goes back to the experience of being a migrant worker. People, migrant workers know that this company is taking advantage of something about them, especially when there's so many, um, when that's like the, the dominant, um, uh, that's the, the, the majority of the workforce. Um, that was a part of the, the messaging that we're here to like help with concrete Real, with real problems, we're here to talk about real stuff like money and not just feedback. Um, one of my colleagues had a nice saying like, uh, money back instead of feedback. <laughs> um, what else? There's something that I like to say because a lot of people were, there's like a natural, sorry, there's a, there a natural hesitation with, okay, I understand like I had someone, I, I remember having a conversation in one of the warehouses with this guy from Pakistan and from India, and they were both uh, inventory in the back. And he told me, he's like, from first world countries, you do these kinds of things, but we're really, and, and, he, and he used the phrase, from third world countries, we're just trying to make sure that we like, uh, like we're, we're just trying to, to get by. We're not trying to like, he didn't say like rock the boat, but he's saying like we, it's almost a luxury to, to do these kinds of things. And I understand where, where he's coming from. And what I told him was, like, in Germany, 
uh, it's hard to like compare the, you, you get paid a lot more in, in Berlin for this job than, than you would in India or Pakistan. And even in like uh, Athens or something, because they use the euro, you can see directly, like you're getting paid, what, two or three euros an hour versus 12 euros an hour. And so the 12 euros an hour, like, hey, if I, I did this job back home uh, and um, I'm not going to complain here because it's so much higher. And what I think, what I told them and what I think like makes sense in general is, okay, there's things about Germany that um, allow this job to be paid 12 euros an hour. It's a lot of that depends on the economy, which just depends on history, which depends on a whole, you know, long story of uh, imperialism, we can say. But there are, there are things in Germany that allow for this job to be paid more. And one of those things that makes sure that this job remains a good job is the council. Because something like a council, something like the organized workforce, and using those tools makes sure that it stays 12 euros an hour. I know it's minimum wage, and that's not specifically what a council takes care of. But the gen, like, like I, I tried to like group electing a workers' council in with everything else that we enjoy about this job in Germany. Like, yes, pay is higher. Yes, there are more protections. And one of those protections is having a council that, that uh, represents you and makes sure that you actually get paid 12 euros or that, that you get paid your full wages. Like 12 euros an hour is great, but if you're only getting a third of your hours, then that's not so great. And a council is something that takes care of that. So I, I, during the assembly, we, I, I called it like, <laughs> I said something like, um, all the candidates spoke for a minute. And of course I didn't plan anything because <laughs> I was dealing with organizing the assembly. And I said something like, I said that I, I'm doing this because I love my coworkers and be, like I couldn't get out of bed and do this all day, every day if I wasn't really, really motivated by all the amazing people at Flink, which is completely true. And something I didn't really appreciate until I started working at Flink, just how cool and interesting and yeah, everybody is. And then it really like just, makes me angry that they're being taken advantage of. You're listening to Rob on the Delivery Charge podcast. Rob's intention in calling the General Assembly, as we have seen already, was to elect an electoral council, which would then conduct an election to elect a works council for Flink's Berlin operations. Less than five weeks before this assembly of Flink's workers, the workers of Lieferando had elected a works council for Berlin. Among those elected was Moritz, who you heard from at the beginning of this episode. Mo, as he is known, is unlike every other rider activist we have heard from so far in the first two episodes of this podcast, in that he is a German citizen. After having supported and even mentored the campaigns to establish works councils in Berlin's platform startups, he has a perspective on them that go beyond their utility as institutions to represent the interests of workers. It's like... Uh... It's very easy for companies to ignore councils. Uh, they, they are, the, I would say, the largest threat for management. And management tries to avoid and stop them or do fake councils by themselves. Um, so just, you know, do anything to not make this happen. To, but basically what they're fighting against is a small spark of hope uh, that the workers will get. Um, once there is a workers' council, there are so many ways of union busting or council bashing, council crushing. Um, you can uh, make a council that has no 
uh, feedback and no backup from the base, from the workers. You can render it um, very uh, unable to act, unable to do anything. There are so many options. So it's, it's a great possibility. But as um, so, and it's, I would say, the, the only hope, unless um, we um, get better in organizing more workers, like masses, which I don't see coming anyway. Uh, it's at least a, a tool for a small group of workers, um, again, to get on, on top of the water, brief and achieve amazing things. But... It's no real threat for management. Oh. You always, um, if you miss, like, if you misunderstand this and think um, as a small group of people, you can make a change in the company. Um, you, you are doomed to fail. What you, what, you, what you get when you like understand the way workers' concerts, uh, workers' concerts, the way I understand them, you get the chance to do proper organizing um, with the uh, workers' council. So the, work, the workers' council is a base, a starting point to organize masses. And uh, I see in this precarious work, I see this as the only chance to, like, as a first step to do a mass organization. Can you develop that idea a bit more? How is the workers' council? a foundation for, for example, increased membership or uh, more number of people getting organized or radicalized. How, how does the Workers' Council achieve that? Um, what I said, I think yesterday it was two days ago to the Flink. Yeah, two days ago to the Flink Workers. What is the Workers' Council? It's no distant uh, spaceship we're talking about. Workers' Council is this. It's a table. Uh, so it's a place. Uh, it's people, it's protection and payment, and um, uh, other privileges like um, training or education. And all these um, um, I see as um, stabilizing factors for organizing process. Um, if you have a place where you can meet, this stabilizes your organizing. If you get paid, it stabilizes because we need to pay our rents. If we get protected, again, we do not drop out the companies. We do not get fired so, so fast. Um, if you get like education, legal education and stuff, then we know better our rights. We can enforce it. Um, and again, like I see our work so precarious that uh, workers have so little time to fight back. Um, either they sacrifice large portions of their life, lifespan, or nothing is happening. And I did this. Yes, you know, for years there was no workers' council inside the Divan, and I actually said, and I'm still partly convinced that it's an impossible task to establish a workers' council in Divan in Berlin because the company is so big and we are so isolated in this place. Um, so I did it for, for years, uh, and we were achieving not much, uh, not, and we were the for a long time the only workers' group. Uh, in the delivery sector in Germany that I know of. Now there are some, some more, but it's less than a handful still. And we were connecting a lot, making connections, building up a network, but against the Lieferanten, they didn't even, they, I'm sure, until last November, they didn't even know that we existed. And they didn't care. Um, 
usually workers council, they they will know that there are a group of workers and they have to um, deal with you. Yeah. But for me, it's more about this stabilizing factors. So workers council gives workers a possibility because workers have a possibility to come together again and organize. And, and happened at like gorillas, you know, the gorillas, uh, you can see they, they had, um, out of my perspective as uh, working at, at Lifano, they had much more, uh, better, much better work conditions than we at Lifano. And we already have quite good work conditions. Uh, but still they said, no, we are not going to work in uh, February. Um, and this was before the Workers' Council. Um, we are going to resist. Um, and with the Workers' Council uh, process, we gave them termination protection and getting paid. So they were able to, to say this again and again and again. And the strikes, you know, were increasing um, in numbers and in dynamic. And, um, yeah, and why? Because, because in the very beginning, one of these workers got fired and we canceled the termination because it had formal mistakes and we started, initiated a Workers' Council. This was in Gorillaz. Yeah. yeah. And we started and initiated a workers' council process, which gave this worker termination protection. So consider he was fired. He thought he lost his first proper job that he had for three months. Uh, we brought him back within days, gave him termination protection. He's still there one year after. And basically uh, doing a great job uh, and being an organizer in the workers' council. So tell me any other um, project, an um, organizing project in Germany that did this with so many workers in such a precarious situation. You know. And as well, um, like another example is um, important for like migrants uh, that come here, you know, and think and know and get told that all, everything that exists works against them, you know, every structure, every institution, every regulation, every law against them. And then you tell them here, Workers' Constitution Act, it's for you. Yeah? And they, like, what for me, like, take it. Yeah, it's very empowering. Then they, you know, these workers, they go to court and they sue their bosses. In a, in a country where they, from the very first moment, this country, everybody told them, go home, go, go away. You know how afraid they are at, at court when, when they say, oh, but how, maybe if I'm now suing, um, will this government know? Will this affect my visa status? And you tell them, no, this is like your right as a worker in Germany. So very empowering, you know, to um, uh, then say, integrate workers in Germany, say it's your right and you can do this. You put this paper there and you claim your space and you invite workers to an assembly. You know, and it's not management writing, it's workers saying we are going to meet next month in this place and we are going to talk to each other. And when management shows up, we tell them to go. So this is so empowering. Yeah, it's like, again, like a person that you always said, yes, yes, and yeah, and uh, maybe, and I kept begging, no, you say, no, you go because you're management. We don't want you. So again, very, very important. And I see, you know, um, so many possibilities in this Works Constitution Act, even though I know a hundred years ago, uh, many uh, problem, people had many problems with this. And rightfully so, I would have had many problems as well, because there are um, a lot of um, problems.
but hey, we are now 100 years later, we have uh, capitalism kicking in like crazy. And uh, so, yeah, I see it out of in a different perspective and I see a lot of uh, possibilities and perspectives. And even though it turned out very uh, bad, it's still um, so much better than, uh, like it's still a lot of uh, opportunities and possibilities. This possibility, you know, of having an assembly, bringing workers together, paid. The workers come there and getting paid. Like, why not? You know, why not use this? Why not? And be it only, you know, to make workers understand uh, as privileged as they are in Germany, and as you know, thereby uh, unused to other forms of resistance. Tell them, hey, this is resistance, this is a form of resistance. And yeah, we can do this on the basis of a law. But why? We don't need this law. You know, we can do it without as well. But uh, you have to get there. You know, and this is what I see as well. Many critics of this worst constitution law saying, yeah, but you know, we can all do this. Yeah, but who is doing this? Like, uh, who is ready for it? You know, who doesn't understand this? And I think, yeah, it can lead to a dependency for, of workers' councils, but you can as well take it as a tool to make people understand, use this whenever, uh, and even without this law, this is a tool you can use. Assemble, talk to your colleagues, and make plans. The rights to assemble, to talk to your colleagues, and to make plans. These rights, according to Moritz, are some of the reasons that the Works Constitution Act, or the Batrice for Fasung's Gazettes, is so empowering even for Germany's precarious workers. For him, the exercise of these rights within the framework of this law, to meet as groups of workers without the supervision of managers, is also a form of worker resistance. Through its provisions that protect workers against firings and provide for financial resources, the law also gives the difficult process of organizing workers a measure of stability. Stability in the lives of activist workers, their education about German labor law, and their empowerment. These were some of the goals Moritz pursued as he campaigned for the establishment of a works council at Lieferando. We will return to that story in the next episode. In fact, on September 5th of 2022, when Rob put himself forward as a candidate for the Wahlvorstand or the electoral council that would conduct the elections to establish a works council at Flink, he and his colleagues at the Flink Workers Collective had much to learn from the experiences of Mo and his colleagues at the Lieferando Workers Collective. There's no spoiler alert here because you already know what happened. Not long before Rob became a candidate himself for the Electoral Council, Mo had been elected to the Works Council at Lieferando. In the next episode, we continue with the stories of Rob and Moritz and their efforts to establish works councils at Flink and Lieferando respectively. For now, however, it is time to draw the curtains on this, the second episode of the Delivery Charge podcast. It is goodbye from me, your host and producer, Aju John. My thanks to Rob and Moritz and to Maria Coelho and Jose Silva from the Gorillas Works Council at the Friedenau Warehouse and to Dr. Afa Cocker. Thanks once again to the ICES for their support 
for this podcast and thank you all for listening